Welcome to the Sendcast. My name is Dale Pickles and I'm the host of the Sendcast. We started the Sendcast a few years ago as a way to help improve knowledge around SEND. There is lots of stuff you can go and read, but we're all really busy and don't have time to sit and read. The Sendcast was created to help make schools more inclusive, to help teachers to support all pupils and to help support staff be more aware of SEM. The Sendcast is also a great way to get the same consistent messages to schools and parents. In this episode, my guest is Wendy Lee. Wendy is a speech and language therapist with over 30 years experience in a wide range of settings. We will be discussing the importance of involving and listening to children with SEM. The Sendcast is created and produced by us here at B Squared. Over the last 25 years, B-Squared have supported schools to support students with SEND. Over the last few years, we have diversified. For years, we focused on assessment that was always be our main focus, but we have seen a lack of high-quality, easy-to-access training in CPD for schools around SEND. Our online CPD offering, Training for Education, started a couple of years ago with the virtual SEND conference, but now includes a range of training courses as well as our conferences. You can find out more about our conferences and training courses by going to the Training for Education website, which is www.trainingforeducation.com. And at the end of the episode, I'll be sharing exclusive Sendcast discount code, so keep listening. Let's get on with the podcast. In this week's show, we are explaining why it is important to involve and listen to children with SEN and the impact it can have. This week, our guest is Wendy Lee. Wendy Lee has been a speech and language therapist for over 30 years with a huge wealth of experience. Wendy was a professional director of the Communications Trust until 2015, being involved in a range of projects as well as inputting onto national policy and research. Wendy is currently the Director of Lingo, which provides consultancy, professional development, resources, and speech and language therapy. Welcome to the show, Wendy. Thank you for having me. Um, I think this is the first podcast where we're explicitly discussing the importance of listening to pupils. We've discussed various ways to support a pupil's communication skills, communication-friendly environments, etc. But you're here to discuss the importance of listening to children and giving them time to share opinions, ideas, information, or past experiences. Yeah. So I think uh, this came about, again, really because I've, I've had lots of opportunities to, to talk and listen to children. And um, when I was working at the Communication Trust, we did a piece of work where um, we asked lots of children and young people, some with um, special needs and some without, uh, what they thought about communication, whether they thought it was important or not. And, yeah, it was just a really kind of... Um, it was lovely. It was just a really nice opportunity to to really get the views of children and young people. And then I had another opportunity um, a couple of years ago when I was working on the Burko 10 Years On review. Um, and again, that review of um, the original Burko report really wanted to gather the views of young people and to see what they thought about how services were and so on. And obviously in schools, there's this kind of... Um, uh, importance of pupil voice, really getting their views on things. And so I just thought it would be useful to have that conversation because um, it's important and actually children with speech and language difficulties, um, there are some intrinsic kind of challenges in gathering their views in a way that, you know, uh, a representative or that we understand and so on. So, so yeah, I thought it might be useful to talk about. So pupil voice is a widely recommended thing, widely used things, but not always done in the best way. Sometimes it is done because they have to and it ticks a box. And sometimes it's it's that school council type thing. Um, but I think getting the views of people with SEN is a really important thing. Yeah, absolutely. As I say, I think I'm really fortunate and those of us that work directly with children um with SEN are fortunate because we spend time with them. So we get to know them, we get to know uh, what they think about things. But actually um, that process of actively kind of saying to them, this is your time to tell me what you think, um, it's easy to forget to do that. So, you know, it's good to kind of make it a 
um, a kind of specific thing, really. And again, there's lots of research around when children are consulted about things, whether that be, you know, their school environment or their learning or what works for them. Um, the children themselves do comment really positively on that experience of being consulted we can actually sometimes change things for them to make life a little bit easier or to kind of really respond to what they say works for them, which is great. It shows that they've got, you know, they've shared what they think and then something happens as a result of it, which is amazing. We know that actually having those conversations with children and consulting with them in that way and kind of en ensuring their participation in some of the decisions in schools can do things like, you know, raise their self-esteem. It can make them kind of see that they've got an important thing to contribute. So it's, it is, it's a really important thing to do. So people's speech language communication needs, again, that's not always expressing, that's reception and things like that. So there's, there's going to be a lot of difficulties which you've got to help them overcome. Yeah, so... You know, there's lots of advantages of that consultation process or that kind of discussion that we have with children. And, you know, it can help with some of those skills. Just that process in itself is it can help with some of those skills. So it can help them to think about how they want to pass those messages across or kind of have those discussions. It can think about it can help them kind of organize their thinking, particularly if we give them some scaffolds and some ways to do that. It can help them to use their language to really represent what's happening to them and how they see what's happening to others. So just that the process in its own right can be really kind of helpful in, in those things. However, there is lots of research to say that although, you know, listening to, valuing uh, children's views in that way, in, particularly for children, well, including children with speech and language needs, it can be really challenging because obviously the way in which we communicate through talk is difficult for those children. So there are a number of things that, again, researchers found that can sort of get in the way of that. So it's things like, you know, children tending to say what they think we want to hear rather than what their true views are. For children with speech and language difficulties, they just might not understand the concepts of what it is we're talking about, particularly if it's big picture things, you know, particularly if it's kind of things that maybe don't relate directly to them. They might struggle to kind of explain what it is that they need or want because they've not got the expressive skills. Or they might not fully understand what the range of choices are that they have. You know, it's kind of quite a broad thing. So there are definitely challenges it can be really time consuming. You might have to teach some of those things first. And actually, sometimes children say things that you might disagree with or it might really challenge the way you think about things. And that can be something we've got to kind of prepare ourselves for. But actually, it can be extremely rewarding, both for us as adults, I think, and for, and for the children themselves. So my nephew has EHCP uh, and... Part of that is you get his voice on that. And for some reason, the school didn't want to uh, be part of getting his voice and the parents aren't allowed, so they have to have someone else come in. And um, he, he, he's a bit unsure of people, so my sister asked me, so I went down. And, um, and I normally speak to him in uh, his house, in my house, or in a restaurant somewhere where he's quite comfortable. He's not really being challenged. There's background noise, which he struggles with and things like that and too busy. But generally I'm having conversations which are quite simple and easy for him. So when I was asking him what he thought of school, it was quite eye opener. When I said, so what do you like about school? And he pulled his timetable out of his pocket, went through each lesson during the week in order and what he thought of each one and then put the uh, timetable away in and that was it. So for him, school is lessons. So the the con actually what I was asking him, the abstractness of it was school is the concept of going to school, being a senior friends and teachers and playtimes. Nope. School is a series of lessons which he generally didn't enjoy. So asking that question, he didn't really understand what I meant. And um, so you then sit there and, I, and again, I was really struggling with how to ask the question. So I was like, okay, so how could school be improved? He was like, by not going. Type thing. It's like, okay, if you could rebuild a school right next door, what would you change? I wouldn't build it. 
It's like, okay, but we have to, but what would you change? I wouldn't go in. And I, and I was trying lots of different ways to try and ask the question and get an answer. And I didn't have the ability to help him understand and, or he didn't have it. It was, there was just, we couldn't get there. And I found that quite fascinating how his just was very, this is what's this is, this is my understanding, this is my definition. And it was very rigid. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting, isn't it? Because I think when we have those conversations with children, we have a kind of picture or an expectation of what it is that we want to find out. But what they want to tell us might be something quite different. And it's kind of preparing ourselves for that, I suppose. So, yeah, I think there are a lot, there are some sort of key principles that I think can really help just uh, as a foundation. So, that idea of kind of just listening very, very well without judgment, which is really tricky because if children, so I spoke to a, a young man a couple of years ago and had a similar conversation and said, oh, what, you know, what would make school better for you? And he said, if I could play Xbox all day. And it would, he'd have a whale of a time, but actually that wasn't that wasn't the answer that I wanted because I can't help him with that. You know, I can't do anything about that. So it is kind of, you're absolutely right, thinking about ways in which we can present a picture to the children that enables us to find out what we need to know, but enables them to tell us what they want to tell us, which might be something completely different. It gives them a scope. So what would you change about school? I just wouldn't go. Okay, but you've got to go. He well, didn't say that. Okay, so you've got to go to school. You change. We well, don't have any lessons. Well, you've got to have lessons, and you, you and you you expect a certain level of understanding, and comprehension, and context within the question. They often don't have that. No, and I think and that's why this process can be really challenging because I think sometimes you can have conversations with children around the kind of pupil voice thing and kind of say, right, we're going to kind of consult you or, or ask you questions about you know what you want your playground to look like. And they might say, well, we want, you know, a Disneyland type kind of thing going on. Oh, well, you can't have that. You know, and actually setting things up with parameters within which children can influence the outcome is really important because you don't want to set everybody up to fail. You know, both you as the person that's kind of asking them, but also the child, you know, you don't want children coming back to you and saying, well, you said we could do this and and it can't happen, you know the kind of whole planning process of what that discussion allows us to do or the parameters around it is, is really, really important as, alongside key principles of, you know, ensuring that communication runs smoothly. So things like, you know, just knowing the child. So particularly if you don't know the children very well or if as a teacher, you know, or, or maybe a senko or maybe an external person coming in, you know, you don't know them well enough to know kind of how they're going to best respond. It's obviously you, you know, your nephew really well, you knew exactly, um, you know, where he would be better to have the conversation with you, that kind of thing, but also knowing how they might feel or how they might respond to that process. So for some children, questions and answers work really well. For others, they will just completely freeze up and not really want to have anything to do with that. And so would an informal thing work better? You know, it, that kind of thing is really important to think about. And also, you know, what are they understanding? What are their levels of understanding? Would something really concrete be better to, to kind of talk about rather than a kind of abstract, you know, what do you feel, what do you, you know, what do you think this should look like or what might help you or what might make things better? It's just so big <laughs> that actually... It's so hard, you know, I think your example about your nephew, what do you think about school? Well, actually, this is going to make it easy for me to talk about it. I've got a timetable here. I'm going to get it out and I'm going to tell you each little bit. And actually, yeah, job done. That's what I think about school. Yeah. You know, it's it, the kind of bigger picture is so abstract. It's so hard to get hold of that, you know, it's difficult to then really pin it down, I think. So, you know, things like, for some of our children, do they need kind of symbols? Do they need a kind of activity to work through rather than the conversation that is just purely verbal, I think, um, uh, can, can help. Also just thinking about, so I've consulted with children with quite significant learning needs and had to think really carefully about how they shared information 
I mean, I just got some really kind of funny responses. We, we were doing some work with um, some children in a special school and we were talking about what they they wanted from the adults around them. You know, what what did they really value in the adults that worked with them? And we did it by, uh, we, we laid them down on a piece of paper, we drew around the piece of paper and then we kind of stuck things on and like about how, you know, what they did, what these adults would do and and how they would be and what their values were. And obviously really simplified it so that the kids could access it. And there was one girl, she was just kind of saying, oh, I want everybody to be like, and it was this particular member of staff. Like I said, oh, what is it that's really special about him? She said, he's just really muscly and good looking. <laughs> <laughs> so I kind of thought, well, I, I've obviously not kind of pinned it down enough for her because, I, you know, not everyone's going to look like him, you know, and that's kind of obviously something that she values in this particular member of staff. But not something that I can influence in any way or that is necessarily kind of important from my perspective in terms of how that member of staff might support her. But for her, she liked him because, you know, she liked she liked how he was, but it was much more than that. So once we did a bit of digging, it was because, you know, he, was, he did lots of things with her that she enjoyed. He took her out to places. He kind of helped her on the bus. And, you know, there's lots of things that she kind of valued in him that, was not anything to do with how he looked. It was much more about how he was with her. But that personality part, that's harder to explain, isn't it? What do you like about that person? Well, look at him. He's quite nice, isn't he? It's, 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 you sit there and you talk about it, describe him. You wouldn't say, well, he's this, this, this. You go, he's six foot, he's this, he's this. You generally, you go for the physical. When you hear people, so who's Dave? Oh, he's my bloke. And you talk about what he wears and stuff. So generally, yeah. that's what we've been modelling. Yeah, and I think, you know, if you've got learning needs and or you've got language needs the tangible is much easier you know the the kind of concrete is much easier so you know how people dress what they look like is much easier and like you say you refer to oh Dave he's that tall one you know he, he wears a you know a fleece all the time whatever it might be so trying to kind of dig down to you know what what made the difference for her was then another layer so the way that we did it with that young person was she said, I like it when he comes on, uh, they did independent travel. I like it when he comes on uh, the, the bus with me. And then it was pulling apart that journey and that narrative of like what it is that he physically does whilst you're on your independent travel that makes a difference. And he just did tiny little things that kind of allowed her to be a bit more independent, but that, uh, that kind of supported her when she was struggling a little bit, you know, and it was that narrative that we had to kind of work through, but I had to know exactly what that independent travel looked like in order to pick that apart. And that, you know, I was external. I didn't, I didn't know. So we had to kind of patch that together between us. So yeah, it's important not to dismiss things because they seem a bit frivolous, but also be prepared to kind of dig a bit deeper, I think, to get to the kind of the nub of what's going on. Yeah, I think also it's the, as you said, abstracts and things and it's, Easy to talk about something else. Always talking about yourself is always the hardest thing because you don't always know yourself. So if you sort of say to her, how can we improve that car? We could paint it black. Oh, that's a good idea. That's quite a simple thing. How can we, could we improve you? Most people will not know the answer. Not because they think they're fabulous. Kind of, you don't know what you don't know. Also, you're scared of finding out and think there's a load of levels in there. Yeah. And I think for the children that, that we speak to, it's kind of much more around... What would make things better for you? You know, what works really well for you? And it's not about individuals. You know, sometimes a good vehicle to find that out is kind of what does that teacher do that really helps? Not who your favourite teacher is, but actually what do they do that makes things easy for you? Um, and, you know, as I say, children can be just kind of incredibly insightful about that. You know, they can be... They, I, I worked with a few children who... You know, when you kind of give people those general good practice things like give more time and link it to what we know already and that kind of stuff that we we kind of do that's great for everybody. These children are coming up with that stuff all the time. You know, they're 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 coming up with those things that that really are the things that we recommend and more because they know for themselves what works really well. So yeah, I think, you know, setting that scene and getting those parameters clear, but also in terms of communication, thinking about the levels that we're using, that we might need to kind of simplify things a little bit. Um, we might need to think about the concrete rather than the abstract. 
We might need to use like physical prompts. We use a lot of symbols whilst our pictures when we're working with the children. Being aware that talking about here and now is much easier than talking about what's happening outside or last week or next year. And actually, again, that's another level of abstraction that's very hard for children with um, language difficulties. So thinking about how we can bring these big picture kind of abstract concepts into something that makes sense here in front of us. Things like not firing too many questions at children, you know, it's a conversation. And actually, if we get into a conversation, it just makes things come out that wouldn't necessarily come out of. So what do you think about this? You can have a conversation about your day. So tell me about your day. Uh, and then just dig a little bit deeper on certain things where you can see there maybe are challenges or things that have worked really well or, oh, you love science. Oh, that's really interesting. Tell me about your science lesson. You know, that that those kinds of things can really help us to pull out the things that are important to the children and why. And it is, it is, we've got, as adults, a lot of experience to pull on. So we've got a lot of things we've gone through and these things. So when you talk about things, it's a lot easier because you've got lots of things to go on. But a lot of these children, they've got a very limited range of experience. So on a previous podcast, you'll have children who've never been to the seaside, who've never been here. So how far can they dream if they've not experienced much? How far can they think about things if their experience is just this? How can they say what would make their life easier if they haven't had it at some point? Point. Yeah, it's, it is interesting. I think, so the things that I've tended to ask more recently about when I've been speaking to children is, you know, obviously these children have got a communication need. It's quite significant. And, you know, we've said before, just getting through the day is, is exhausting for some children and understanding what's going on, dealing with whatever happens at playtime. You know, is the structured situation in the maths lesson much easier than the kind of very unstructured playtime scenario? And so generally speaking, for for me, it's about what is going to make it easier for you to get through the school day? What's going to help you to learn better, to feel more confident, to speak out if you want to, to tell your mum when you get home what you've done today? you know, to say what you want to do at the weekend, you know, whatever it might be, it's about day-to-day existence generally for me in terms of these conversations with children, not so much, you know, where do you want to be in 10 years' time sort of thing. Do you know what I mean? So I think in that scenario, when you're talking about making things better for children by listening to what they, they see are the important things and will help them to get through the day and will help them to learn more or make friends more easily or whatever it might be, then you can start to kind of make that a concrete thing rather than an abstract thing. There's, there's you know, there's different ways to kind of do that. So my, my daughter started wearing glasses, I think about a year and a bit ago. And so for her, obviously her eyesight was stashed off fine or she thought it was fine. And just, I think over a couple of years, it just slowly deteriorated, but she didn't notice it. She didn't need glasses. It was just... One day she was like, what does that even say? And the person, so how can you read that? And it wasn't until one of those moments, then she got the glasses, that she could see the impact that would have. And I think if you've not had that support, it's hard to say what would make your life better. So you've literally got to go, okay, what's been, a, as you said, if it's tiring. So what days, have you, what days are you not tired? Mm. It's maybe think about that bit of information they're giving you so what days are you least tired? Well, Mondays. What happens on Mondays? Oh, we do this and this teacher does this. And uh, Okay. So it, it's really being a detective, isn't it? And using that information because they won't join the dots. Yeah. I mean, I think obviously it depends on, on, the, on the children and, you know, some will really struggle with that. I think um, other things that we do are kind of, um, things like sorting activities. So a whole load of things that might happen in the school day, you know, does this help, doesn't it? Or don't you know? So just physically sorting things. And then you've done that kind of physical, practical activity. And then you can delve a little bit deeper on, well, well, how come? So um, again, we did some of this as part of Burko, Burko 10 and it was kind of, so what helps you to do X? And somebody just kind of said, well, it helps when I'm at home with my mom and dad. 
okay, so what is it about that that really helps? And, you know, again, it's just digging that, digging a little bit deeper. Quite often children will name people. So they'll say, oh, Miss Smith's great, or Miss Smith really helps. or And then, you, again, it's that kind of delving into, well, what is it that Miss Smith does that really kind of makes things easier? And that kind of sorting type exercise just narrows down, you know, ha ha how much weight is on them in terms of kind of coming up with stuff. Yeah. And you need to make sure that there's things in there that are relevant to them and that kind of speak to them. And that where that's where all of the planning comes in in terms of, making sure you know the children, making sure you kind of know what their kind of lives look like, and then you can do some of those more sort of practical physical activities. Um, we've done things with older children like, you know, if you had to write a postcard about uh, to your mum or to your dad or to, you know, Mrs Jones about what would happen, what would uh, what would make things easier in this particular context, what would be on there, and kids have kind of done that sort of thing. Um, sometimes just doing something completely different so craft activities are great just for kind of sitting and chilling and doing stuff together and just having a conversation. I think the important thing when you're having these conversations with the children is to make it clear what you're going to do with that information. So there's a kind of consensual thing that's really important, that if you're gathering their views about something that's about the bigger school or that you're going to feed back to somebody, it's absolutely crucial that they're aware of that. Um, so I, again... The, the the young man I spoke to that I kind of said, you know, what do you think about school? And it, I, I don't know if he was just having a bad day. I knew this little boy really well. He was like, I hate it. I just want to play Xbox all day. And I'd kind of said to him before, are you happy that I share what you say today with the, with your teachers? And he'd said yes. And he told me all of this stuff. He said, by the way, I don't want you to tell anyone this. And I kind of, well, fair enough, actually. He's obviously just not having the greatest of days. Um, so it is important that we kind of make sure we get that information for from the children and get some sort of uh, consent from them about what that looks like. So, yeah, having those conversations is about knowing the children, knowing their language, knowing their communication levels, you know, putting some par parameters around and getting that kind of understanding, a joint understanding of what you're doing and why, so that they don't think that, you know, if I say I want a, a helter-skelter on my way out from school, that they're going to get it because that's just not within those parameters. So, um, and then just kind of making sure that you're checking that they're understanding things as you go through so that you've got that kind of internal ongoing checking mechanism that, you know, you're both on the same page, that you're understanding what it is that they're they're telling you. So children, it's, so you're collecting children's views not on a daily day basis? Well, it varies. So um, sometimes it's for things like EHCP. So, yep. you know, we want the we want the child's view here. Um, and then, yeah, it's for a specific purpose. And um, sometimes it is about other things. So I've got some examples. So uh, as I say, for the Burko 10, um, there was some very specific things that children said. So they said things like, oh, it really helps when... I get more time to think. Or they said things like, I like it when the teachers are good at explaining stuff. So it's kind of fairly basic stuff. Uh, they like things to be fun. They like things to be patient. Your children will say things like, what really helps is when people understand the nature of my condition. Yeah. So particularly as children get older, they will say things like, I've had children say things like, um, oh, people think I'm stupid or they think I'm just being awkward or when I lose it, they think I'm just being obnoxious or uh, they think I've got a bad temper. And actually, when you kind of talk them through that and say, well, what, you know, what would be better or how could that be improved or what could people do differently? They'll say, you know, actually, it's when people understand the nature of what's going on. So quite often I'll work with children. Um, so there's a group of children that they have word finding difficulties. So their words in their head and they just can't they just can't find it when they need it. And as a speech therapist, I kind of recognize that when I'm working with children. And I will say, Oh, is it in your head and you just can't find it? And you can see kids kind of going, Oh, goodness, somebody gets it. You know, it's not just that I don't know it, because I do know it. It's just that I can't find it and that's different, you know, and just acknowledging 
you know, oh, do you need a bit more time to think? Yes, <laughs> thank you. You know, the children will really kind of revel in that because it makes such a big difference to them when they they see that somebody else gets what's going on. It's like the children who've got very unclear speech. It's it's not a great thing to pretend you understand them if you don't. And, you know, I will hold my hands up and say, I'm just so sorry, I'm just not getting that. Let's go back to the point in the conversation where I was understanding. You know, I take some of that responsibility. And that that's just being respectful, isn't it? It's just kind yeah. of saying, I, I, you know, I just, I, I don't get it. Let's find another way to work it out. Whereas if we pretend that we've understood when we don't, the kids know that 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 you don't understand because you're just not responding in the way that you would normally to something else, you know? So, yeah, the children will say things that are kind of pretty straightforward, really. You know, some things that came out of the Burko 10 were things like, don't shout at us, it doesn't work. Well, yeah, but actually that's something that the children had picked up on. Or they'd say things like, don't spend all the time on the naughty kids. I'm here working, you know, they, 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 they're kind of really insightful or, you know, give us time to talk or give us space to think, that kind of thing. So the, the children, you know, the children are great. They do come up and all of the, all of this information from the Burko 10 is on that is on the Burko 10 website. So it's interesting to see, you know, what they found really useful Things like check that I understand. Like one of the kids said, check I understand things because actually it'll save you a bit of time. Uh, and again, how insightful is that? If you as a teacher just check, it'll mean that you don't have to unpick things later. It means you don't have to explain it to me again, you know, and again and again. It's just checking it out. And that was just a primary school child that kind of said, just, you know, just check guys and then it's going to be easier for me. And that's a big thing because um, my nephew, he will never put his hand up if he's unsure. He won't put his hand up. Mm. So he'll sit there and not do the work if he's not sure. He can't, he just won't. So being that teacher to so just check, pop over, have you got this? Do you understand what you're doing? 75% you might say yes, but he'll, times he'll say no, and then you can explain it, but he will not ask you. So there's things like that make a big difference. Yeah, and I, I think that's not unusual of children with SEN, that they don't kind of ask in the same way as other children and, and like lots of children won't ask but I think particularly you know it's something that I have observed in children with language difficulties and and other children with SEN that asking is hard you know I can think I've, and I'm sure you can have you ever been in a situation where you've maybe been in a meeting with maybe a group of people you don't know so well there's bits of what's going on that you think I've not got a clue what they're talking about here you know you don't want to be that one do you you don't want to be the one to kind of go you know, what does that acronym stand for? Or what is it you're talking about there? Or I didn't quite follow that because you don't want to be seen as being the one that doesn't get it. You know, we've all done it, I'm sure. I was I was at a conference in 2013. I can tell you exactly where it was in <laughs> London. And at this point I've worked, I'd worked for B Squared for 12 years. I've worked in assessment and SEN for years. And at this conference, it was obviously a buzzword which came in then because I don't remember hearing it before but the word pedagogy and pedagogical. And I'm literally going, and everyone's nodding, and I'm literally going, what is this word? And it was like every fifth word was pedagogy, pedagogical. And I'm like going, we all draw, and I'm going, <laughs> and I literally I wrote it down on the top of the paper going, what is this word? And I went, I went teaching. It's like, why don't you just say teaching then? <laughs> ah! But it was one of those things I literally had no idea. But at that moment, I didn't know what to do because everyone else seemed to get exactly what it is. No one else was looking sideways like I was. Trying to work out what's going on, everyone else got it. And was nodding. I was going, okay, this is a me thing. Drawn all my experiences. I had no idea what this word was. Googled it. Teaching, more or less. And yeah, so I, so yeah, I've been in those situations. And that moment's awful, isn't it? That moment where you kind of think, oh god, everybody's getting this but me. And you know, I don't think of myself as a, an unintelligent person, but it kind of immediately makes you doubt yourself and think, yeah, I, I, you know, what? why don't I know this? I should know it. And actually, we all don't know stuff about stuff. You know, isn't it great to just kind of go, I, I, no, I, I'm not following that. I'm sorry. Maybe I switched off for a bit. But it's scary. But I think as an adult, you'll have that moment and then you're about to draw on all those resource experiences and go, I know so many other things. It's just this one thing. and I know what to do in this situation because I've been here before, I've done this before, and it'll be all right. When you're a child and you haven't got all of that again, 
your perspective of in that situation of what do I do is I don't really know because I've not been here before. And, it, and when last one didn't know it, it didn't go right that time either. It, it, it can go, it won't end up in a good situation. No, it can be devastating, can't it? I've got this really strong memory of being in, I was probably in what is the equivalent of year three now. And our class teacher said, he was the head teacher. He came in to teach our class for the day, he's teaching maths. He explained all of this maths and said, if you don't understand, just ask. And I didn't understand. And for the first time in my life, he happened to kind of wander up to my desk and said, do you understand? And I said, no, I don't understand. And he shouted into my face, I've just explained it, girl. And it just terrifying, you know, just kind of devastating. And if you've had that experience and you're kind of slightly sensitive soul, you're not going to ask again, are no, you? You're just no. going to pretend that you know what's going on. My sister had a similar experience in, uh, she did further maths at A-level in college. And the teacher explained something, she really didn't understand it. She asked him again, so he just said it louder. Oh, helpful, <laughs> yeah. So, uh, you know, I think, again, we've all had those experiences of not quite understanding what's going on. But you're right, for, for children with, with special educational needs, it is just worth kind of checking checking that out, making sure they've understood. So, yeah, the other things that we've done is we asked uh, one student to give his top tips for his teacher. So what are your five top tips for teachers? And again, he just said really simple things like, just explain it easier. <laughs> okay. Uh, he said things like, he, he, he commented on like visual support. So he just kind of said things like, well, use pictures. And again, it, it just reinforced that kind of importance. And he's a, he's a young man with developmental language disorder. He said things like, um, uh, link it to things that I like. So he was he knew just endless about amounts of information about um, like birds and fish and that kind of thing. And so we linked, he was learning about um, shapes and he couldn't get the word triangle, just just couldn't get it. They'd done it for weeks. And then he he had he knew about dinosaurs also, because they were living creatures. And he knew a triceratops had three horns. And so we said, well, try for triangle and try for triceratops means three. Honestly, within like, you know, minutes, he'd completely got it. He'd remembered it. And we'd been working on it for such a long time. But that linked to something that he knew already. And he told us to do that. You know, he kind of said, this will help if you link it to things that I know. So, yeah, the the, the children can be incredibly insightful about, about things. There's so many stories you can go into here and lots of experiences, personally on my own and my children's. Hmm. And it is it is fascinating. And um, on a previous podcast we did with Angharaj on verbal reasoning, it's understanding those levels of the questions you're asking is a big thing. Completely. So that's where you really have to know about the children's levels. And I think the other thing is just kind of the, the whole non-judgmental thing, I think, is really important. So, again, um, we had a conversation with a child about transition from key stage one to key stage two. Actually, I think it's year three to year four. But anyway, he was moving to a different part of the school. We had a conversation about it. It was fine. And then on transition day, he cried all day. He found it kind of devastatingly difficult. Just didn't want to do it. Anyway, we had a conversation with him about it afterwards. And it turned out that his new classroom was going to be on a lower floor. And he was frightened that if there was an earthquake, his classroom would be squashed by the building above him. And so he was really kind of terrified. He didn't know how to get out of the building from this particular classroom. And so it was just such an easy fix. Like we, if we hadn't delved into that a little bit, we could have just thought, oh, he's a bit uncertain. He's a new teacher. It's a new classroom. He'll probably be fine. But he had a very genuine concern for him. Um, so it was fine. We set up a treasure hunt in the kind of new area. We talked about how to get out from different parts. It was com absolutely fine. It completely allayed his fears. He wasn't worried about it anymore. But we ha we had to all go into that from a very non-judgmental perspective of what is going on here because he was quite an emotional child. He did have some um, kind of mental health needs, and but it there, there was a very tangible issue for him that you know. We could have quite easily missed, I think. And also, it's quite easy when someone says, "Well, I'm worried about there's going to be an earthquake." Well, they don't do earthquakes here. <laughs> yeah, you can't. You get it. You go, okay. So that's your worry. Okay. Well, let's solve that problem. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So I think there there are definitely sort of those individual conversations, and I guess the other thing to kind of think about in terms of 
those discussions and those consultations with children is that in a school as a whole, like you were saying at the beginning, you know, pupil voice is a is a is something that people do. We have school councils. It's all important to get the views of young people. I think the challenge for children with SEN is making sure that their voices are a heard and authentic voice in that kind of system, if you like. And so again, thinking about strategies to ensure that those children are included are, are really important. So again, I work in a lot of schools where the children with SLCN are struggling to contribute to those kind of discussions at school council level that they don't feel that they've kind of got a voice and actually asking them kind of alongside what's going on in the school council or sort of priming them to some of those questions or preparing them for some of those discussions can be really key. So there was one example where it was about school lunches and actually for, for our kids, it was about the fact that they they couldn't choose until they got and saw the food because they didn't understand the menu when it was, so when it was written out, you know, this is what we're having today. They couldn't read it. They couldn't understand it. So actually using visuals of spaghetti bolognese or whatever it might be allowed them to see it before they were in front of the food and make choices in the same way that the other children could, that they weren't kind of having to make those last minute choices where they got told off for not being quick enough and kind of making a decision, they're holding the queue up. So that made quite a big difference to, to some of those young people. Okay. And I suppose one of the things, if, you, if you've got a child with SLCN on the school council and you know what that meeting you're discussing, you can almost have a pre-meeting with that child and have a discussion around what you're going to say. So they can actually help formulate and you're, you're checking their understanding before you go in. Yeah, definitely. Or making sure that the discussions have kind of got those uh, visual supports that will enable them to understand kind of maybe some of the more abstract or more kind of complicated issues. Or actually, again, making sure that you know, if they're not on the school council, that they have got an opportunity to feed in through whoever whoever is on the school council. And, you know, some children won't want to. It's not it's not something for everyone. But just if you are gathering views from all pupils, thinking carefully about what that looks like for those pupils who've got limited language or language difficulties. And sometimes actually putting uh, those children in a position of a bit more power can make a difference. So we asked a group of children to gather views from other children. So they were like roving reporters. <laughs> so they had a little kind of, so they had somebody with them who was kind of scribing and they had a kind of microphone, but they asked the question. So what do you think about this? And it was great. It just kind of made them really sort of included in, in that process of gathering. I think it might've been something about a school playground that uh, in a school that we were working in. Um, and they were looking to gather views from the, from the students about what they wanted their playground to look like. But just allowing those children, enabling them to be part of that in a very active, quite a leadership way, to be honest. Yeah, um, yeah that was it was great. It made such a big difference. And then they get the opportunity to listen or to all of those different points of view. And you can even ask them, which one did you like? So you, you're not coming up with your own idea. You're not going, well, he said that. And I like that one. Yeah which helps as well because you're yeah. kind of scaffolding that. Yeah, definitely. Or sometimes they would just kind of <laughs> just have quite strong views about, well, we don't want one of them, <laughs> we don't want that. And again, it was just kind of quite a nice process to kind of make sure that, yeah, that they that they have that active role. Um, and again, you know, sharing some of this with parents. So we sometimes, it, you know, it's really quite difficult for parents to, we talk a lot about giving children choices and so on. And definitely we've had some discussions with parents around, you know, how those choices might work in practice. So obviously you can't choose whether you go to school or not, but you might choose which school bag you use, or you might choose what you have in your lunchbox, or, um, you know, we have to drive in the car to get to X, Y, and Z but actually you can choose what music you listen to in the car or, or, you know, what games you're playing or if you're watching an iPad, what you have. So it's kind of building some of those choices into, again, those parameters within which we have to function as, you know, people that have to go to school and work every day. But there are still choices within that that can really enhance those experiences for, for children that make life a lot easier for parents too. So, yeah, we talk a lot with parents about that, things like, you know, if the children struggle to get out of the door in the morning, do have your visual timetable there for them. But actually you can think about where, where that is or what that looks like. So there are choices that are built into some of those things that we do. I don't know what the rules are on, on school transports, but I, I remember my daughter playing football and I was coaching and she'd have some good days, some bad days, and she'd worry. And 
realized after a while, actually, the days she played the most well were the days where we listened to music she liked on the way to football. And it kind of, she forgot about football and kind of enjoyed the car journey than she was at football. Whereas I think there are days where she was just worrying about football and then she'd get to football and she's now in a bit of a negative mood. So yeah, things like being able to, in the time before, being able to distract them or give them something they enjoy that when they get there, it's like, I haven't worried about it. It's like, oh, I'm at school. Okay, let's get on with it. Rather than half an hour worrying gets you into a negative zone before you even arrived. Yeah, completely. I mean, it's like that leaving for school in the morning, isn't it? You know, parents will say to me, oh, it's so stressful. I just can't get him out the door. He's kind of absorbed in some something else. Well, actually, let's put the five-minute warning in place. So we're leaving in five minutes. You know, if you need to make that visual and physical, put, get an egg timer or, or a countdown clock, you know, then, you know, two minutes in, right, two minutes now, time to put your shoes on, a minute in, now it's time to get your bag. So actually children aren't kind of, shocked by the fact that all of a sudden they're, they're out the door because they've had that build up. It makes such a huge difference. I mean, I did it with my children because they were absorbed in whatever they were doing. But for children with um, language difficulties with special educational needs, you know, they, they haven't got those language skills necessarily to kind of be able to work out that now's the time to go. Some have, which is great. But if getting out the door is an issue, then building some of those things into there. Uh, and actually, again, you can put some choices in there. Okay, do you want to put your shoes on first or your coat? If that helps, then go for it. If it doesn't help and they need a kind of directive, then, you know, again, go for it. But yeah, some of those things around and those conversations with the children, you know, what helps you to get out the door in the morning? What can we put in place that's going to make it easier? And, you know, I know the school bus is horrendous, but what do you think is going to make it easier for you? Well, if you plug into your music, maybe that's going to make it easier. Or if you sit next to Joe instead of Jack, maybe that's going to make it easier. So, as I say, there are definite parameters in which we have to work as adults, as children, as as humans, but there are lots of choices within that and, uh, and enabling the children to have an influence over those choices can make a really huge difference and makes them feel like they've got that element of control, that they've contributed to some of those decisions, which then makes them feel good. You know, it's a good thing. I remember discussing that whole uh, five-minute warning thing with someone. And I just remember saying to them, right, if I just walk straight up to you and go, right, we're going now, and you just had to drop everything you're doing there and then and go, you wouldn't enjoy that either. You're in the middle of something. Yeah, but I'm an adult. Oh, now you're devaluing what they're doing as a child. Is that not important to them? I said, you just, no one would like to be told we're going now out of nowhere. So there's lots of things. So if they do have mobile devices, they can set their own little alarms on their phone. My daughter has that. She has an alarm which goes off and she just, I'm not telling her now. That's an alarm she has set. And that's socially acceptable to her. If I said it, I'm wrong. If her phone says it, it's right somehow. But it makes a difference. Therefore, I'll, I'll. I'll She's a teenager. That. That's how it works. It is. But, <laughs> but you, yeah, so you, you find the battles, you choose the ones, you, you put that help in. And yeah, five minute warnings are a really good thing. Um, but for me, if I'm not telling her and that mobile device is telling her, then I'm not even involved in that conversation. Yeah. And actually, that's what you want, isn't it? You want your children to be independent, to be able to organize that for themselves. And again, you know, if children say, well, I don't like it when you tell me this. Well, okay, so how do we get around that? And what's going to work better for you than me just kind of nagging you? Um, we went through a little phase where I used to leave sticky notes for my kids, tidy your room or I'll chuck your stuff out, you know, that kind of thing, um, which actually just worked better than me just going on about it because they, they just don't listen, you know. They just kind of close their ears to it because it, it's the wrong timing. Yeah. You know, obviously, timing's quite important for children, isn't it? It's like, don't talk to me. I've just got in. And, you know, lots of children, when they get in through the through the door at the end of the day, they don't want to say what they've just done for the day. Like, How was school today? They don't want to tell you. They want to just chill for a bit. Um, so, yeah, I think it's it's those kinds of things, having those conversations outside of the moment with a stressy that can really help things going forward. I like on weekends where my daughter's got to do various things. Saturday morning, I'll sit on the sofa next to her. What are you up to? I'm doing this. Oh, what are you doing later? Don't know, not doing this. Cool. Do you want to tidy your room after lunch? Is that a good time? Yeah. <laughs> lunch happens. You're going to go tidy your room. And then she just looks at me and sort of goes, oh, yes, because she's agreed to it. So, but also I have found out a not bad time to do it. It's already in the back of her mind. And it gets done rather than just 
first time, I go, right, you need to tidy your lunch now. It's like room now. It's like, well, I was going, it is, it's doing it in a way and giving them some element of choice. Because I might have said, you need to tidy your room. When do you want to do it? I'll do it after lunch. I'm, yeah, doing it then. That's that. But she's chosen it. And I think, yeah, things like that make life. Yeah, definitely. So we are going off on quite a tangent now, aren't we? A little bit. But it yeah, is it is about voice. yeah, it's it is about voice. listening. It is about, as I say, for children who've got language difficulties, just being mindful of clear parameters, clear kind of discussions around what you're going to do with the information that you're sharing, and also clear kind of notions of making sure that they are going to understand and be able to express what they have to say. It's not. It's not easy to kind of gather information for children who've got communication needs. And there's research that kind of says that people do it less because it's difficult or it can be difficult. But actually, there are lots of really nice strategies that enable that in a, in a, in a kind of easier way. And it just makes such a big difference for the children, not just because they've had their voice heard, but because, you know, it makes them feel better good and and as i say that practice and that conversation is a kind of little bit of a communication workout in itself so lots and lots to be gained it does take time but there are kind of there's information and strategies out there that can really help and they're they're all on that on on um, on the information on the podcast Uh, so uh yeah do go and have a look well thank you for coming on the show today okay Uh, As Wendy just mentioned, all of the links she's given me will be in the show notes, so please go find them and have a read. Thank you for listening to the Sendcast. If you haven't subscribed already, please do subscribe. You can find links to subscribe across all the different podcast platforms on our website, www.thesendcast.com. And please follow us on social media. Just search for The Sendcast on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram, and you will find us. And if you do listen to us through iTunes or Apple Podcasts, please leave us a review and let others know what you think. And before we go, once again, I would like to remind you to check out the Training for Education website. It is a great website, lots of great CPD, and you'll find a number of the guests of the Sendcast are speakers on our virtual Send conferences or have recorded their own training courses. Training for Education is all about getting CPD to all staff around SEND that is effective and affordable. Visit www.trainingforeducation.com for more information. And as an exclusive gift to Sendcast listeners, you can get 10% discount on the virtual Send conferences from the future ones or the past ones. Um, They're now six, just by using the code Sendcast10. So thank you for listening. We'll be back soon with another episode of the Sendcast. It's goodbye from me. And goodbye from me. Bye, everyone. Bye.